It was an interview I really wanted, I've got to be honest. I was kind of desperate for it. Every once in a while, you get that interview. The one that's been years in the making. Sometimes it might take months of lengthy negotiations to pull it off. And sometimes you just have to wait for the interviewee to be free. Then as soon as Anna got out of prison, I said, we could probably get you on the cover of the Sunday Times magazine. She really wanted a cover interview. The remarkable rise of Anna Sorokin, the woman who dazzled and duped New York's elite, has spurred podcasts, documentaries, and now even a Netflix series. Not even a spell in prison has dimmed the fascination in the fake heiress. She called herself Anna Delvey, a fashionable globetrotter pretending to be a high-flying German heiress, living a fairy tale life of glitz and glam among Manhattan's elite. A German con artist passed herself off as a wealthy heiress to swindle banks, hotels and even close friends as she lived out a high-society, Instagram-ready fantasy. Anna Sorokin managed to create a completely false persona calling herself Anna Delvey. Today, the Sunday Times has an exclusive interview with Anna Sorokin, or Anna Delvey, the fake heiress and convicted con artist, just weeks after she's left prison. I never thought it would, everyone just would be so outraged. It was like I was cutting corners and taking mm. like shortcuts, but um, in my mind I was never doing anything criminal. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today... Meeting New York's fake heiress. I have been fascinated by her story, like so many of us have been. And I wrote about her earlier this year when I realised she was getting out of prison pretty swiftly. Laura Pullman is the New York correspondent for the Sunday Times. And I just did a piece for the foreign pages teeing up what next for Anna Delvey. And at that time, I got in touch with her friend in New York, a woman called Neff Davis, and expressed my interest and started trying to build relationships. And then as soon as Anna got out of uh, prison, which was on February the 11th, I was messaging her on Instagram, as I'm sure a lot of other people were as well. But when she replied saying, email me, I was delighted. So I quickly sent her an email asking for an interview and then she said oh this is too stressful text me and so then I had her mobile number and I texted her and I called her and um, tried to lay on as much charm as possible and we would do a glitzy fashion shoot and we'd get beautiful clothes and you know this is a woman who is very interested in fashion and sparkly things and so I think the temptation of a fashion shoot was one that she couldn't resist. She's now living in a hotel or at least she was living in a hotel at the time of the interview which is called The Nomad. It's a pretty smart hotel in midtown Manhattan. It's five stars But I was a bit nervous about how loud the lobby would be and the restaurant was closed and COVID restrictions and all the rest of it. So in the end, we decided to meet at her lawyer's office. Laura wasn't the first person who felt the need to impress Anna Sorokin. It's one of the traits that allowed her, as a young woman from a small town in Germany, to conquer New York. Changing her name to Anna Delvey, she persuaded the city's fashionable art crowd, business partners friends, even banks, that she was an enigmatic heiress to an $80 million fortune. 
When the lies eventually caught up with her in 2017, she was arrested and charged with eight counts of grand larceny and sentenced to at least four years behind bars. But now, having been released from prison early, are we about to see the return of Anna Delvey? Who is the fake heiress? Anna Delvey is this mysterious German heiress who arrives in New York and she's in line to inherit 60 million euros thereabouts when she turns 27. And she dishes out $100 tips and she wears designer clothes and she eats at all the right restaurants and knows all the right people and has seen at all the proper parties to be seen at. In reality, she is the daughter of a Russian former truck driver from a very normal suburban working middle class background. And Anna's family had moved from a city outside Moscow to a city in Western Germany called Eschweiler. To any German listeners or speakers, I apologise if I've butchered that pronunciation. And I mean, what did she tell you about her background? How does she describe it? It was really like boring. <laughs> I could not wait to get out of there. Yeah. And did you always know that you were going to kind of go on to bigger things? You... Definitely. I thought it was an option for me to stay there. Yeah. <laughs> I like I looked at these people. I was like, there's just, there's no way this can be my life. I could never just sit at home and be like someone's girlfriend or wife. It was to her a very dull parochial place that wasn't suited to somebody as kind of glamorous as her and dreams much bigger than her horizons. And so she left at the first opportunity that she could. What was interesting, she claimed to have a close relationship with her parents. Well, I still, I get along, have a great relationship with my parents who help me with a lot of stuff. And in real life, her parents run a heating and cooling business in the kind of New York act of being Anna Delvey. She was still singing the tune of, oh, well, I said my dad ran a solar company and actually that's what he does. And he worked and she'd span some story about some big guy in Austria that he did business with. Like solar energy, which they kind of do. I think, yeah. oh, actually it was, that is the truth because mm. my dad, he used to work like with this guy from Austria, who's like a pretty yeah. big solar yeah. energy company. You know, she wasn't saying, well, none of it was true and I was bigging myself up. She really balked at the idea of the fake heiress title that she's been given. I mean, she's not kind of mad. She does recognise that they're not extremely rich. But I think she says the line of kind of people believe what they wanted to believe about her family background. I guess I just like kept it vague. Certainly people in New York, some people thought that her father was some sort of oil titan. Others thought he was a diplomat. So I think you say just enough for people and then you behave in a certain way and people make their own assumptions and they believe what they want to believe. From a relatively humble start, first in Russia and then in a small town in Germany, by 2011, Anna Sorokin had begun to transform her life and her identity. It's tricky to pin exactly kind of how and where this double life began. But after she left school, she lands in Paris. And in Paris, she works this mega trendy magazine called Purple and she seemingly becomes pals with the editor, Olivier Zam, who, if you want to picture a French trendy magazine editor, I, I mean, he is straight out of central casting. It's kind of constantly wearing aviator glasses and his leather jackets and posing with beautiful women. Anyway, it's in Paris that she adopts that Delvey name. And when I asked about that... 
I just came up with that and I don't really know how and I kind of stuck. Same like Anna Delvey TV, like I don't know, it just kind of, it happened on its own. I, you know, like there was, there's no big plan on, there was no big plan or scheme behind it. So then she starts spending more time in New York around 2013. And when I asked kind of why New York, she was very huffy about how in Paris, everything closes around six o'clock. Paris, like everything's just closed at six. And you cannot tell a person, I'm going to give you, I don't know, 500,000 dues for me now. They were like, no, family time. She's very charming. And she had those purple magazine connections. I used to intern at Purple and I ended up just knowing or meeting more people that lived in there. It's like, mm. you know how fashion and art crowd, they just like, they travel. Yeah. No one really yeah. lives everywhere. It was only an intern at Purple, but of course, either you gloss over that or you straight up lie about the position you had at Purple. But that got her into the right parties and introduced her to the right sorts of people. And this is when she starts telling people about the... $40 million arts club that she's going to open on Park Avenue South, which understandably has to be called the Anna Delvey Foundation, and is just slowly getting a name for herself. She's got lots of Instagram followers. And so she's building on that. I mean, all of this is, none of it is easy to achieve. Is she just a very talented actress? I think she's got a combination of things. I mean, I think she's very intelligent. She's very cunning. But also, I asked about where do you get the confidence to walk into a hotel that charges hundreds and hundreds of dollars a night and kind of swan in and not expect to pay your bills. <laughs> Most of us can't do that, wouldn't do that, and would just kind of shudder at the idea of trying to pull it off. But she looked at me like it was a bit of an odd question. People ask me that all the time, but I don't even know how to ask, like, how to answer this. It's just how I am. Like, some things, like, like I'm really good at spelling, and I never, like, taught myself how to spell, mm. for example. So I don't know. It feels like I have this vision, and, like, I took this shortcuts like in order to be able to get what I wanted. There is just this kind of utter brazenness to her. And I suppose if you act the part enough and you look the part to a certain degree, then people are going to go with it. And the more they go with it, the more your confidence builds. What was driving her? I mean, is this just a lust for fame? It's really tricky to know what is driving her. And, I, and I'm not sure she really even knows. I mean, she has said before that she was not driven by money. I felt like money is a tool to get what you wanted and me being in New York, I never felt like I came through pretending to be this heiress. There's just so many rich people in New York, like no one cares. I never thought I'd be able to impress anyone with money, not in yeah. here. Like maybe yeah. back in Eschweiler, anyone would be impressed, but it's like I never saw it that way. But that she was driven by power. It's like control synonymous with power, mm. pretty much. And she openly said to me multiple times throughout our interview, I enjoy, I guess, the feeling of control. <laughs> she needs to control the narrative on everything. So that is certainly part of it. I think she genuinely did want to open the Anna Delvey Foundation, as nuts as it sounds to all of us. Did you genuinely believe that the Anna Delvey Foundation was going to come off? I mean, definitely, yes. Absolutely. And how on earth was this woman with no money really to her name at all going to open a $40 million pretentious members-only arts club on one of the smartest streets in Manhattan? To us, it sounds completely crazy. To her, it sounded, yes, I have big dreams and I'm going to pull them off. So for somebody who's so obsessed with controlling the narrative, actually becoming famous for being a fake heiress, for committing fraud, for going to prison... 
isn't actually a problem. No, because I obviously asked her whether she wanted to be famous and she actually considered her answer. And then she said, It's hard to say because you can be famous for so like different things. I just didn't want to do like get famous for some sex scandal. That would be the wrong type of thing. I guess I want the attention, but for the right thing. I mean, it's yeah. nice to have platform and a voice and have people listen to you. I want to be well known for something. And so I said, You didn't become famous for a sex tape. Yeah. But, you, <laughs> but you became famous for <laughs> duping New York City's elite. So is that a type that you're actually... I'd say it could have been worse, definitely. Yeah. So I think she's perfectly happy with being the anti-hero. And to be honest, it's working for her. Well, I say it's working for her. She has a huge amount of Instagram followers. I think it's something like upwards of 80,000. And there are projects in the pipeline which are going to keep her in the limelight. So tell me a bit more about how she managed to burnish this image of a rich heiress in New York on the social scene at every party. It happened over kind of months and months where... She was in that world of being seen at the right art festivals, so Venice Biennale, the Freeze Art Festival, Art Basel in Miami, and all the right fashion parties, and then kind of jetting around in Ibiza or wherever else in Europe. She didn't have a close group of friends, but she latched on to a few trendy people. So there was a DJ that she was hanging out with. And when she goes to the Venice Biennale, what she's actually done is duped a friend who is a very young Chinese art collector who paid for her to go from America to Italy for the Biennale on the understanding that he'd be paid back. And of course, he was never paid back. But this man was so wealthy that he didn't kind of bother chasing Anna too hard for the 3000 or so dollars that it had cost him to buy her flights and put her up in Venice. With characteristic extravagance, Anna planted her flag on New York society by holding a lavish birthday party and she hired a PR firm to organise it. They booked one of the hippest restaurants in the city and invited a long list of influential, well-connected guests, many of whom Anna had never even met before. She made quite a splash that night, and she slipped away before the bill arrived. She was staying at five-star hotels, racking up extraordinary bills. I mean, so much about this is just, you know, fascinatingly bonkers. And she is building extraordinary connections at this time. You know, she's having meetings with André Balzaz, who is the hotelier who owns Chilton Firehouse, for example, in London. He's one of the top hoteliers and best connected celebrity hotel men in the world. And she's having... I think she had multiple meetings with him to discuss the food and drink side of things at her pie-in-the-sky, totally-made-up arts club, the Anna Delvey Foundation. And, you know, he wasn't the only one. <laughs> so some of these meetings genuinely happened. Others, she was lying through her teeth. She was telling people that Christo, the artist uh, who died last year, was going to wrap the Anna Delvey Foundation building uh, in fabric, which was his kind of signature thing. And that was just utter bunkum. And Christo's office have since said, you know, we've got no idea who this charlatan is. And she seemed to pull it off. She seemed to get away with it. I mean, how do you walk away from a huge birthday party and not pay the bill? 
when she's swanning into the Eleven Howard, which is a very hip hotel, it just opened, it's in Soho, it's attached to Le Cuckoo, which is just the restaurant where the absolute fashion set and the rich and the beautiful go to eat. And she's swanning in there, dropping names left, right and centre about knowing the developer of the hotel and the owner of the hotel. And she's saying kind of, I'll be staying for six weeks and somebody bring up my luggage and she's dishing out $100 tips to the concierge. She seems like a woman who's going to absolutely be able to settle up her bill at the end of her stay. Do we know where she got the money for all the big tips? I think there's a lot about Anna's scan that we're still not quite sure of where she got all the money. But there was one occasion where she persuaded a bank to loan her $100,000, some of which she used to pay off her bill at 11 Howard. They'd cottoned on, finally. By the time she'd racked up $30,000 bill, they'd cottoned on to the fact that the credit card that they had for her wasn't a working credit card, and so chased her. And she miraculously was able to pay off that. But that was because she'd got a fraudulent bank loan. She was using bad checks. She'd created a fake financial advisor. She knew exactly what she was doing. Manveen, if you and me had walked into 11 Howard, they might have <laughs> might have seen through it. But um, she clearly had her act down pat. But Anna's meteoric rise in New York high society and her dizzying ambitions for her foundation were all heading for a spectacular crash. We'll have more on how it all unfolded in just a moment. To enjoy more remarkable stories every day, Subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times today and get one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. As Anna Sorokin emerged from prison, having been convicted of several counts of grand larceny, would her alter ego, Anna Delvey, the fake heiress, find any of the remnants of her former life waiting for her? Having been a social fixture on the New York art scene for a few years, would any of her old friends and acquaintances still want to see her? Were any of those friendships real? In a word, I'd say no. And right now she's got this woman, Neff Davis, who was the concierge at Eleven Howard, who Anna befriended. And... Neff was being handed the $100 tips and enjoying free lunches that Anna was paying for using fraudulent bank loans or not paying for. I just enjoy making people, like, happy. Yeah. I'm not, like, saying... I was never really, like, throwing cash around. So whoever I tipped $100 to, was like, that was a... Per- like, I lived at that hotel, so I was a person yeah. who kept doing things for me. And so even kind of her, quote-unquote, kind of closest friend now, you question... Right, well, how much do you actually like Anna Delvey? And there was Rachel Deloach-Williams, who plays a really interesting part as well. Rachel had become one of Anna Delvey's closest friends, although she ended up playing a significant role in Anna's eventual downfall. Rachel was a picture researcher slash editor at Vanity Fair. And obviously Vanity Fair, one of the trendiest, most illustrious magazines uh, in New York. And I'm sure Anna would have latched on to that and liked that, that Rachel worked at Vanity Fair. They meet at a very trendy club in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And Rachel then went on to become Anna's most famous victim, sadly for her. 
I believe she's a sociopath. The money was extremely destabilizing, yes, but what was equally upsetting to me was sort of this riddle that needed to be solved. In May 2017, Anna invites Rachel on this now kind of infamous five-star trip to Morocco. And she'd invited a few others. They go on this all-expenses-paid, Anna's paying for everything, trip to a hotel called La Mamounia, I think it's called. It's a $7,000 a night Riyadh, the place that we can kind of only dream of going to. For various reasons, she wasn't able to book the flights in time, so Rachel buys the flights for them to get from America to Morocco. And then she's ultimately stiffed with the bill. The bill for that Riyadh and for the flights and everything all adds up to $62,000. It was quite a holiday. And actually, after Rachel had left, significantly poorer, having put some of that bill on her company credit card, which just kind of brings you out in hives thinking about having to do that. Anna clearly couldn't afford to pay the bill for herself or the friends she'd brought along. But that didn't stop her keeping up the facade of a wealthy heiress. According to friends who were on that Morocco trip, when the staff started to cotton on to the fact that, hang on, something wasn't quite right here, she would get very angry with being confronted about the fact that she is acting the part of somebody who's paying $7,000 a night to stay somewhere, and how dare you confront me about this, and can't you see that I'm busy having my rosé lunch? But by the time she gets back to New York, she goes to stay at two different hotels. She doesn't go back to the 11 Howard. By now, they've locked her out, and uh, it's all starting to unravel by this point. And is her expensive holiday in Marrakesh catching up with her too? Rachel's bought out a book about the whole experience called My Friend Anna, which I reviewed for the Sunday Times. And you're reading it and I've got to say, your body is just cringing at the idea that you could be put through that. You're, you're feeling her kind of stress. And New York is an incredibly expensive city. And, you know, the amount that she had to stump up for Anna was more than her annual salary, I think. So she is unable to sleep and... Her whole life is destroyed at this point. It was starting to eat at me. I'm late with my rent. I'm late with my credit card payments. So she's confronting Anna, who's, of course, saying, the check's in the post. It's coming tomorrow. I must have left it in the car. Gosh, it was here a minute ago. There's constantly, and my financial family manager is getting in touch and he's being useless. You know, there's, of course, there's always an excuse after excuse. But Rachel's slightly in denial. You know, she's been friends with Anna for a number of years. I think I wanted to see the good in her. I but eventually she has to face up to the fact that her friend must be a total charlatan, swindler, con artist, whatever you want to call it. I think it's also important to see reality and to understand what's right in front of you. And that's when Rachel turns on Anna and there's a brilliant kind of role reversal. And how did that play out? Things were falling apart for Anna anyway. So she is arrested for the first time in the summer of 2017. And she's arrested because she dines and dashes at a restaurant. On this occasion, she was busted. And she was busted, too, for not paying her bills at the Beekman at the W Hotel, and that was about $2,000 combined. But she doesn't turn up to her court appearance later that summer. And instead, Anna being Anna, she continues the adventure and she jets to California and she checks herself into a rehab facility in Malibu called Passages. And Passages costs something like 60 grand a month. So it is one of the most luxurious, you know, this is not your average rehab facility. And Anna joked when I spoke to her about it that it was kind of good preparation for prison. While Anna had checked into luxury rehab, 
her past was catching up with her. Her arrest in California when she's not turned up for a court hearing in New York is kind of the stuff of Hollywood movies. And she's obviously chosen to go to the rehab place, Passages. The reason she was there was because to arrest her somewhere like that, police would have had to get arrest warrants to enter the rehab facility. So she knew it would be trickier for police to get her there. But step forward, Rachel, who is uh, $62,000 out of pocket and starting to get pretty fed up with Anna at this point. And she plays Anna like a fiddle. And luckily for Rachel, she is on her way to LA for work. And they've still kind of kept up the friendship because Rachel's trying to stay friends with her because she's desperate to get her money back. Rachel texts Anna and says, let's meet for lunch and basically lures Anna out of this rehab uh, facility. And then rather than Rachel waiting for her, the police are waiting for her and swoop and arrest her on the street. And how does she describe that moment? as extra with a bit of an eye roll. To some of our older (laughs) listeners, extra is kind of millennial vernacular for over the top. She's written about her arrest as being kind of a mega inconvenience and there is nothing more inconvenient than somebody interrupting your day by arresting you. So there's no, no hint of remorse or any sense of her world collapsing. This is just an inconvenience. She said a few very interesting things to me about the arrest. I mean, she said that she would not have stopped. Like, they put me in prison, but it was like the only way to stop me. The reason why I was in LA is because I was like looking for a building there. Anna's mind, she was still going to pull this off. And she claims that she was going to California because if the New York Anna Delvey Foundation wasn't going to work and was all falling apart, that she'd find another venue in California. I mean, How much she's lying to me or lying to herself is is kind of hard to distinguish. But it was interesting to hear her say that she wouldn't have stopped without the arrest. But on the regret front, yes, she's got no regrets at all. I never thought everyone just would be so outraged. (laughs) (laughs) I understood it was like I was cutting corners and taking Mm. like shortcuts, but in my mind I was never doing anything criminal. I thought it was a good idea at the time and clearly it wasn't. And now I've, you know, paid the the price for that. And kind of what else am I meant to do? I apologize to my parents for like putting them through all the stuff. Mm. It should be their choice to deal with this or not. But it's like now it's kind of being forced on them because like (laughs) of their relationship with me. She apologized to her parents. They seem to be the only people that she has apologized to. Anna Delvey had swindled New York society out of more than $200,000 over the course of four years. Her trial, when it came, earned her the attention she'd always craved. I was living in New York by that point and it was a real media circus and we lapped up every every minute of it. I mean, one of the most memorable moments about the trial was the fact that Todd, Anna's lawyer, had helped her hire a stylist. So Anna was turning up wearing kind of Victoria Beckham and Mew Mew. She was still very much looking like the glamorous German heiress with tens of millions to her name. And then she would kind of be pictured in court looking quite sulky and she refused to give any sort of statement and she threw a couple of meltdowns about her outfits. It was very stressful. Oh, the outfits themselves. Oh, I haven't even looked at the pictures yet. So it was definitely stressful. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it went on for a month and ultimately she was obviously found guilty. 
Anna was sentenced to between four and 12 years behind bars and was fined hundreds of thousands of dollars. Having served over three years, she's now been released early for good behaviour. But how did the experience affect her? She's sent to Rikers. I guess Rikers has this crazy reputation, which I was not even aware of. Rikers is the most notorious prison in New York, if not America. I mean, it's called Torture Island. It's called Gladiator School. And it sounds, frankly, terrifying. You know, the, the people that she is suddenly sharing small amount of space with are murderers. And quickly there were reports in the New York media at the time about Anna getting into fights. And I do know that the first Christmas that Anna spent in Rikers was spent in solitary confinement. Of course, I asked whether prison had changed Anna and she said that it very much had. So first of all, like, I learned how to read people better, that's for sure. Okay. It helps, like, just being around a lot of different females, especially, all day, every day. You mm -hmm. just, like, learn to figure out people's motives. It was kind of, I've learned how to read people better and try to understand what their motives are. Or I've, you know, I've learned how to rub along with everyone, even if they wouldn't have been in my social bubble. Is there something about it where it's, it's not an act as much as something she firmly believes? She's lied to herself as much as to anyone else. I absolutely think that's the case. And certainly I think Anna believes this story that she has told herself for years and years as she tried to get into a cliquey world of the super rich and the beautiful and the well-connected. And it's a hard world to get into. And she saw that as her only way in. And she's run with it to an extraordinary degree. And do you think Anna feels any remorse now for what she did and and how it affected people, like her former best friend, Rachel. Did Rachel ever get her money back? In a word, no. She was convicted of, I think it was eight counts of theft and grand larceny and theft of services, but actually she was found not guilty of the charge related to Rachel, so she's never uh, had to pay her back. So on Rachel, she said to me... Yeah, I'd like to say something. Like If Rachel Williams feels like I need to pay her back, she should find me. Like, she knows how to contact me. And I think we can take that with a pinch of salt. You know, Rachel's never seeing that money again. There is a happy ending for Rachel, which is that she wrote her book, My Friend Anna, and that quickly got snapped up by HBO. So Rachel enjoyed a hefty paycheck from HBO, who are going to be adapting it. What does happen next? Is there a second act to Anna Delvey? She's going to have to play this carefully because it's a fascinating story, but, you know, soon we're all going to know this story inside out and we're going to want more from it. So she's got to play her cards quite carefully now. She's going to be in the limelight for a good while yet because Netflix have got a drama coming out later this year which tells the Anna Delvey, Anna Sorokin disaster tale from beginning to end. So that will obviously keep her in the headlines. HBO are doing their adaptation as well. I suggested the idea of her having a boss and she looked like I'd said something deeply unpleasant and that's not going to be an avenue for her. She spoke about being interested in criminal justice reform but when you push her on that there's no full substance to it. She says something like, I want to change the entire system. And I suggested, oh, well, why don't you work with Kim Kardashian, the reality TV juggernaut turned prison activist? And she lights up at the idea of that, of course. 
I feel like Kim Kardashian turned it around pretty well yeah. right now. Great job. Hopefully we'll get to the point where you can like talk about it. <laughs> you, have you reached out to her? No, not yet. <laughs> What's almost certain is she will be deported from America. They've got no desire to keep her here at all. And I'm afraid she's coming to London next. If she can, and if she's deported, she spoke glowingly about the art scene in London to a superficial level. I love the shopping in London. I feel like even the same stores have such a different selection. And of course, contemplated, spent a bit of time there before Paris. So that's where she's got her sights on if she's kicked out of America. What surprised you most? I'm really ashamed to admit this, Manveen. I'm afraid it's that I liked her and I hate admitting that. And I can't even pinpoint why I liked her. I suppose she's fascinating and she's got a sense of humour. There was something where I found myself being charmed by her and I knew all the worst things about Anna and still I laughed along and I was flattered when she complimented me and I wanted to impress her. And, you know, get a grip, Laura. The shoot was just a thing to behold. She was a pig in mud, loving the attention, but she went missing at one point. The the makeup and hair had taken forever. And finally the photos are, are beginning and Anna's all dressed up and she's saying to me, don't let them make me look fat. She was very conscious that she'd put on weight in prison. And suddenly she vanishes. No one can kind of work out where she's gone. And I go looking for her and she's nipped back to the makeup chair in order to sneak in a quick free haircut. (laughs) As the stylist said to me, you know, scammer's got a scam and even if it's a free haircut, she'll get it. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. My guest today was New York correspondent for The Sunday Times, Laura Pullman. You can read more of Laura's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producer today was Sevda Moyasari. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Falcon Kisseltuk. If there are any stories that you'd like us to look into, any ideas for future episodes, or if you have any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do drop us a line. Email us at storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening to this extra episode of Stories of Our Times. We'll be back tomorrow as normal. See you then.